Lord, we do uh, look forward today to what you have for us. And, and God, I pray, once again, as we continue spending time here in the book of Acts and watching that church, the first church, the first century church, how, Lord, we can glean so much and gain so much insight into doing church, but, Lord, even more importantly, into our lives. We're watching real men, real women do this thing called life and do this thing called church. And I pray that it impacts us, Lord. Some, I know it's, we get discouraged. We get going along and hit road bumps in life or sometimes it feels like we're going through a blockade in life. And, and Lord, I know that, God, we hit those and how difficult that is. Yet, God, I know that you will walk through those times with us that your heart is to be there in the midst of those times. Lord, so we have something, someone to hold on to. And again, we watch and see that happening in people's lives and it encourages us in the midst of our trials and our tribulations. And some of us, man, life couldn't get much better. And again, we glean from those who are, who are in that place in the book of Acts and how much it, it just encourages us to stay the course and continue on with you. So I do pray, God, that as we just continue watching, eavesdropping into these people's lives, that, Lord, you would continue to speak to our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, for the last couple of weeks, we've been watching and looking at the church going to the Gentiles, if you've been with us. And kind of a recap, remember that, that Peter reached out, or actually we're going to talk about Cornelius reached out to Peter. But we see that Gentile getting saved. So, so far in the book of Acts, we've seen God work in Jerusalem, right? Just like he said, with the Jews who were converted, and then in Judea, then Samaria. And then, as I said, finally, man, it goes outside of that. But here's the interesting thing. Philip working, you know, when it gets outside of of Judea, Philip working with the Samaritans, well, that's half Jews, so, so that wasn't a big deal. And then even Peter and Cornelius, the interesting thing there is Cornelius called Peter. Peter didn't call Cornelius. It was the other way around. And we see that now today, we're going to see, I think, the major, major, mega shift where the church actually reaches out to Gentiles. The church does something, and here's what I love about this section in Acts 11. Those who do the reaching out, we don't know who they are. Some of you might go, well, that's not cool. I think it is so cool. Listen carefully. People in the church were doing the outreach. People in the church are spending time with the people there. We're going to see in Antioch, it wasn't, listen, it wasn't apostles, it wasn't deacons, it wasn't Philip. It was people just like us doing the work. And listen, I think too often in the church in our century, people are looking to get a little bit of the glory. They want just a little bit. Maybe not all of it, but just a, just a little bit. Man, these guys aren't getting no glory because we don't even know who they are. You might find them in heaven. When you get to heaven, you might ask around, hey, where's those guys from Antioch? I want to figure out who you are. I want to know what happened, right? So we see that going on, and it should encourage us in our, in our relationships that we have. So look at verse 19. Again, we left off where the church had accepted 
Peter's testimony of what happened in, in uh, 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 Caesarea. And then in verse 19 it says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So bottom line, listen, in verse 19, we pick up where we left off in chapter 8, verse 4. If you remember in chapter 8, verse 4, the persecution came, they started uh, leaving, and they took off, and they were spread, and then we read about what Paul did, and then we read about what Peter did, and now we're back. So here's what I think, chronologically speaking. I think what we're reading was going on almost simultaneous with what was going on with Peter and Cornelius. I think all of this is kind of going on at the same time. So we're just getting different views, right? Different, different camera panning from one area to another area. So this outreach is going on. Now here's the interesting thing. It says they went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So we're moving up out of Jerusalem, out of Judea. Phoenicia would have been that area along the coast which would have been northern Israel, maybe today up in the Golan area for those who have been there. And then on up into Lebanon, Cyprus is an island off of Syria. And then Antioch is on up the coast area, kind of inland a little bit, and a major, major city. Do you know that Antioch was the third most populated city in the Roman Empire? That kind of blew my mind when I read that because I, I hadn't really realized that. Now, the largest city, what was the largest city in the Roman Empire? Rome. Man, last night they couldn't get it. Like they freaked out when I asked them a question. They're going, oh, you didn't know there was a test we would have studied. So yeah, Rome. Rome would have been the largest. You know the second largest? Oh, that was a little hard, huh? Alexandria. Alexandria, which is down in Africa, northern Africa, right, Egypt, that's the second largest, and then Antioch. So you have, listen, we're going to kind of headquarter things out of Antioch. Now, the interesting, again, large city, and by the way, they were, there were like, I think somebody said upwards of 15 different Antiochs at that time. That's kind of crazy, right? Popular name for a city and, and what was going on. One of the guys conquering areas were naming these cities. Every time he'd get one, he'd name it after his dad. And so they had, you know, Antioch of Syria, Antioch of, you know, uh, Arizona, Antioch of wherever. So, listen, they had all these, but this is, we know this one for sure. It's up in to their time, Syria, our time, southern Turkey, on the Syrian-Turkey border is where it is today located. But listen, you have it. Now, that's kind of interesting. So you have a major metropolitan area being affected by the gospel. One other kind of downer thing. Antioch was only second to Corinth in immorality. Bummer. The two most immoral cities in that time in that Roman Empire were Corinth number one, Antioch number two. Isn't it interesting that God's light shines where the darkness is. Hmm. So we have, that's what's going on. So listen, but these guys that went up there, they're only, they're only talking to Jews. Remember in that mindset, people who left Judea because of the persecution, they're up there and they're still thinking this thing called, that we call Christianity, we're going to find out where that came from today, this thing that we call Christianity was still only for Jews. And for Jews to take another step, right? So they're only speaking to Jews. And then it tells us, here it comes, verse 20, but some of them 
were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist preaching the Lord Jesus. Man, here's what I love. Listen, and I, I think Hellenist is kind of a, maybe it's, it's a fine interpretation, but maybe gives us a connotation of they were speaking to Hellenist Jews. No, they were speaking to Greeks. It's not just Jews with a Grecian culture. They were speaking to Greeks. They reached out because what did it say right before? They were speaking only to Jews. Now, listen, these guys reach out, and they reach out to the Gentiles. And what did they give them? Did you notice what they did when they reached out to the Gentiles? What did they give them? The Lord Jesus. Don't you love that, man? Here's what's going on. They're preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. They're going to these pagans, these Gentiles, who do not have a Jewish background. And they're, listen, they're not getting into, hey, you need to understand Genesis to really understand Jesus. They're going straight to Jesus, right? And they're preaching Jesus to them. And then check this out, man, 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Listen. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Woo, yes. Now, listen, here's what I love because these guys are reaching out to a different culture. Remember, the ones who went up there were from where? Judea. They were Jews. All of a sudden, they're reaching out to a different culture. You know, at the conference this year during the Q&A, there, there was a whole, and it seems like it comes up, anytime there's a Q&A at a conference, one of the major topics is, how do you reach the culture of today? And that was, again, let's discuss that, let's figure it out. I personally think it's real easy to reach a culture of today. You give them Jesus. That seemed to work. Listen, didn't it work here? What did it say? They preached the Lord Jesus. And then what did it say? Here's the most important part. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and many believed. I don't care what you do. If the hand of the Lord is not with you, you're doing everything in vain. And the hand of the Lord was with them, guiding them, directing them. And here's what I know. If you're doing it and the hand of the Lord is with you, you're going to be fine. You don't have to. Listen, I think there's way too much time trying to strategize how to reach people, trying to figure out a culture, trying to figure out felt needs, trying to do all those things. Listen, you can do that all day long and still never really reach anybody. But you can listen to what the Lord tells you. And here's what I, what I kind of, this is a deep observation we're all breathing and living. You're living in this culture, aren't you? Aren't you alive in this culture? And listen, some of us are part of one generation, some of us are part of another generation. But I'm looking out here and I see people from a bunch of different generations. I see people from a bunch of different backgrounds. Why don't you reach the culture you're part of? And you're living in it. I'm living in a culture. I think I can reach that culture. All I have to do is be used of the Lord. So the hand of the Lord, listen, it wasn't the apostles. It wasn't some great strategy they came up with. It wasn't figuring out the felt needs. Why were they, quote, successful? Because the hand of the Lord was with them. I underline that in my Bible because it's important for me because I want to reach people. I want to figure out how to reach people. And so I'm figuring right now I need to understand the hand of the Lord is how I'm going to get that done. And then here's what I love, man. Luke tells us what? The hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, when they had the revival, what happened the first one? 3,000 people, right? 
Then the next one was 5,000. And then pretty soon he quit like giving numbers. Listen, here's what I'm thinking. 3,000, 5,000. Then the number got so big, what did he just keep saying? A great multitude, right? So what does he say here? A great number. You know what that tells me? A great number. That tells me a whole bunch. That tells me, I'm thinking that's more than 5,000. Otherwise, he might have said 5,000, right? I think once Luke got to 5,000, he says, man, 5,001 is a great number. A great number. And again, you know what I love about this? We don't know who was doing What did it say? Some guys from Cyrene and Cyprus. That's all we know about them. You see, because I believe the church, the church's purpose should be to empower people to do the work of the ministry, to go out. And I believe that was happening in Antioch. They're empowering people to do the work of the ministry. So listen, man, this thing explodes. Is this crazy? Hey, you got Peter... A convert in his family, right? Cornelius and I don't know, a half dozen, two dozen even, let's say. Hey, Peter's going, woohoo, yes! The guys in Antioch are going, that ain't nothing, man. You ought to see what's going on in Antioch, bro. Hanging out over there in, in Caesarea. And we, we're not even apostles. We're not even apostles. We're just serving Jesus. We're just loving Jesus. And we're just telling people about Jesus. We're going to find out, listen, we're going to find out how much they love Jesus in just a moment. So they're doing it. This explodes. And all of a sudden, listen, all of a sudden news gets to Jerusalem. You've got to understand something. Antioch's 300 miles away from Jerusalem. It's not like right next door. Now for us, that doesn't sound like far, but it's a long way if you're walking, right? If you don't know, Take off right now, leave right now, get out of your chair, go, walk to Flagstaff, call me when you get there. <laughs> kind of find out how far that is, right? So listen, they're taking off, and it's, it's huge, man. This thing is exploding in my mind. It's exploding. And listen, then it says, verse 22, then news of these things came to the ears at the church in Jerusalem. How on earth did it come to the ears to the church in Jerusalem? Remember, that's the headquarters right now. And somehow word got back. Oh, no. Gentiles are getting saved in Antioch. What are we going to do? They got a dilemma now. They got to figure things out. Now, they, they were kind of happy, right, when Cornelius got saved. So there's that edge. And listen, I think in, in my mind, and I could be wrong, but let's just play it this way. I think they just kind of finished that whole thing with Peter. And then somebody shows up and goes, hey, you think Cornelius is cool? You ought to see what's going on in Antioch. And then, what did they, they were just rejoicing over even the Gentiles were given the gift of repentance to life, right? So woohoo! Now they're going, oh, Antioch? Now here's what I love. They get that news. Listen, check it out in the middle of verse 22. And they sent Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Who'd they send? Do you remember Barnabas? Do you guys remember who he is? Barney. I like to call him Barney. We're close. Do you remember who Barnabas is? And he's that guy. He's that guy that encourages people. Do you remember? Remember? He's from Cyprus. And he sold his land in Cyprus and he gave it to the church in Jerusalem. See, here, you guys take this money. That caused a whole upheaval with Ananias and Sapphira. That wasn't cool. And I remember when Paul showed up in Jerusalem, nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. Saul. Remember who took him in? Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. I, I, I always, whenever I hear Barnabas, it just kind of makes me go, ah, oh, Barnabas. 
I think he's one of those people that when you just get around him, you're encouraged. You just hang out with him. They don't even need to say anything, and you're encouraged by them. I like those people. And Barnabas is an encourager. And, and then one other thing, I, I think he had to be somewhat of a leader in the church, don't you? Hey, if he shows up and calms the church, remember the church was ready to go into a, 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 a huge tizzy over the whole idea that Saul got saved. Remember, there was this huge uproar. Barnabas brought that, oh, that whole thing down and, and defused that whole situation, got him to accept them. So I, I think he had to have some kind of leadership going on, right? And who do they send to Jerusalem? Or who do they send to Antioch? Barnabas. Here's what I wrote in my margin. They sent their best. You see, I think it's important when churches are doing some work, send your best. We don't like it when the best go, right? Send your best. So they send Barnabas up there. Now here's what I love, man. He takes his 300-mile journey. We don't have to go through that journey. But look at when he came. Verse 23, when he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad. Notice when Barnabas gets there, here's the first thing he sees, the grace of God. He doesn't see what's wrong. He sees what's right. And he looks at the grace of God. And what does it do, man? It makes his heart glad. He's whoa. Sometimes we see or hear of God working in situations and, you know, for whatever reason, we get all uptight. Well, that kind of happened. That's not the way we do it. And they're doing it with Gentiles. And I'm not really happy about that. And I don't like that. And we mumble. Don't you? I don't like... Here's Barney going, yes! I see what's happening. Yes! And he's glad. And then check it out, man. He hangs out there and it says he was glad and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Man, I think this is so important. He encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue in the Lord. You can decide to do something and make up your mind to do it. And then your mind can change. But when it's a purpose of your heart, that's called conviction. That's called determination. And it's a purpose of your heart. You're not going to change. You're not going to move. And I think that's so important. Listen, he didn't try to get them to believe something. He encouraged them that with purpose of heart that they would continue in the Lord. Don't you love that, man? I'm looking and Barney gets there. Man, he starts, listen, he starts encouraging the church. He starts setting them on a path for victory in their Christian life. Not, listen, not some educational path, not some, you know, mind-altering path. He says, listen, here's what you guys need to do. You need to purpose and have purpose of heart to continue on with the Lord. You need to have conviction. It's kind of like this. Our heart, listen, our heart, not the, not the organ, but our heart, you ever been in love with somebody? You don't fall out of love. Hmm? You see, that's the heart. And he's saying, man, you've got a purpose with your heart to do this. Not just make a decision to do it. You've got you to get deeper than that. You've got to go stronger than that. 
And I love it, man. Listen, he's telling them to do that. He encourages them to do that. And then he says, listen, to continue in the Lord, for he was a good man. In verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I kind of like that, man. You know, I think that would be the greatest thing to ever have written about you. You're a good man? I think he was a really good man. But they just say good man. That, that part's cool. But the part I love, listen, he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I think, listen, somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit and faith is kind of like unstoppable. They're kind of like the Energizer Bunny, man. They're going to go, you're going to push them into a wall, they're just going to bounce off the wall and keep going. It doesn't matter. But listen, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Man, listen, you had revival going on, Barney shows up, now you've got mega revival going on, right? you got revival on top of revival, and Barney's going, whoa, this is awesome. And he's in the middle, listen, he's in the middle of this whole thing, and I get this picture of this church just exploding. I get a picture of thousands of people gathering together. They want to hear what Barney has to say, and they're all edifying and strengthening one another. They're doing church the way church needs to be done. And I believe, listen, I believe Barney starts looking around and going, this is a bit overwhelming. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And I think he's thinking, what am I going to do? Because if you read a lot about Barnabas, something you find out is Barnabas is a background guy. He's not a front-round guy. He's not a front guy. He's a background guy. He knows it. Here's the greatest thing, man. When you find your gift and find your place and you know it, you can do it with purpose of heart. And he knows. Listen, Barney knows who he is. So he sees this thing exploding. I'm sure they're looking to him for leadership, man. He's there. He showed up. All of this is going on. And I think he gets a little bit like freaked out. So notice what he does in the next verse. Check out what happens, man. It says, then, verse 5, Barnabas departed for Tarsus. Now, now listen, before we read the rest of that, kind of get your idea of what's going on. The church is exploding, right? And here's what Barnabas says, I'll be back. Is that crazy or what? But you know what? I think Barnabas knew that the church was strong enough to handle it. He didn't have to be there. He didn't have to be present. So he takes off. I love this, man. He takes off and he goes, I, th I think he's watching this whole picture and he's seeing all these Gentiles getting saved and he's going, I don't know what to do with this, man. This is like way more than I ever thought. All I, all I ever wanted to do was love Jesus. That's all I ever wanted to do. And now I got all this going on. So he takes off and it says, listen, here's what I love. It says he takes off, right? He departed for Tarsus. Why did he go to Tarsus? To seek Saul. Check this out. They haven't seen each other for eight to ten years. That's a long time, right? What on earth has Saul been doing in Tarsus for eight to ten years? Well, I think he got beat with rods. I think he said, didn't he say five times? I think his family has deserted him, right? I've lost everything on account of Christ. I think a lot's been going on in Saul's life in Tarsus that we don't have recorded except when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and you read about everything he went through, you kind of begin to understand. There was stuff going on in Tarsus that was horrendous for Saul. But listen, Barnabas goes and he seeks him. That word seek is like to like dig deep and uncover and find. It's not just like, like he's searching high and low. Do you remember in Luke chapter 2? This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Remember Luke chapter 2? When Jesus and his family, 
visited the temple and then they left? Remember when they left? And they're on the road and Joseph turns to Mary. They've been gone for, they traveled for two days. Joey turns to Mary and he goes, hey, you got Jesus? No, I don't got Jesus. You got Jesus? Oh, no. We forgot Jesus. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Have you ever left one of your kids? <laughs> A bunch of you are going, no. I only had one child, and we forgot her once. At church. It was at church. Same, because we're spiritual like Jesus' family. <laughs> we, we got home. We got home, and like Gainelle and I walked in the house, and we're going, there's usually three of us. Oh, yeah, Leah. We got to go get our daughter. So we went back. Luckily, she was playing with somebody who didn't notice, so it was cool. So. <laughs> but remember, it says, then they went back and they looked, they sought out. It's that same word, seeking. You, you, can you imagine how a parent would be seeking for a child that they forgot? Right? It's that. So listen, he's there and he's seeking. He's looking up and down. Now think about, think about back then, man, you didn't have, you didn't have, all of the technology, obviously, we have today. You didn't even have phone books. Remember those things? You used to come and have phone numbers and stuff in them and addresses and stuff. Yeah, some of you do, some of you don't. One guy last night said he still uses a Rolodex. I thought, oh my gosh. But man, listen, he didn't even have that. So can you imagine trying to find somebody? You're just knocking on doors. Say, you know where Saul is? You wouldn't say Saul of Tarsus because you're in Tarsus. Hey, you know where Saul is? Saul who? You know Saul. Saul, the guy. He got saved a while back. You know, the crazy guy. And so he finds him. Listen, he finally finds Saul. And here's what I love, man. He gets him and he gets Saul. Verse 26. And when he had found him, listen to what he did. He brought him back to Antioch. Here's what, here's what Barnabas does. He gets Saul and he goes, I've got some ministry for you, bro. Let's go. And man, he brings him back, and here's my picture. He gets back and he tells everybody, talk to this guy. I just want to love on you. You talk to this guy. This guy knows the answers. This guy's got, and he kind of pushes, in my mind, he pushes Saul up front, right? And he gets Saul doing ministry, and it was so that for a whole year, a whole year, they assembled with the church, listened carefully, and they taught a great many people. What did they do as a church? They taught people. Listen, we come to church so we can be taught, strengthened, and edified so we can go out and do the ministry. Now, listen, I think evangelism should happen in the church, but that's not the church's main purpose. The church's purpose is to teach, to get grounded so men and women can be set free to do the work of ministry. And here's what I love, man. That's what they're doing. This is a total good picture for us of the first century church. People exercising their gifts, knowing their gifts, and going forward in those gifts, even to the point where they're evangelizing the community without a packet. They're just doing it. I love it. And then you got, listen, so they're doing that. Oh, and here's a little byline at the end of verse 26. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Oh, we're kind of used to that term, huh? First century church, not so much. Actually, the first century church didn't really use that name. I kind of think from this, it was the Antiochians. Antioxians? 
I think it was the Greek people calling them Christians, not them. And I think maybe in some ways it was a little bit of a derogatory remark. Not a, not a wow, you're a Christian, but eh. It's a combination in Greek, and it has this suffix. It has obviously Christ. We see that, right? And then the I-A-N, Ian. Listen, that part of it means party of. So you could interpret it this way, party of Christ. Or we could say it this way, party of Messiah or people of Messiah. Remember, Christ means Messiah. So surely the Jews, the Jews would never use that term. So the Gentiles came up with this term, and they labeled them that. Now, today, you know, it's kind of lost its meaning, and it's lost its oomph and its power, but that's basically what it means. Listen, when you're calling someone a Christian, or you call yourself a Christian, you're calling yourself the people of Jesus, right? I kind of like that better. Wouldn't it be more fun to go around saying, hey, I'm, I'm part of the people of Jesus? Maybe we should do that. Instead of saying, I'm a Christian, no, I'm, I'm a people of Jesus. That's who I am. Do you know, actually, the word Christians only used here one more time in the book of Acts, and then only one more time in the entire Bible? I'm not going to tell you where the third one is. You can find it. Homework. You guys have phones. You have internet. It's not that hard anymore. People used to have to seek for things. Now you just, there it is. Last night, somebody told me before I got to the back door. So don't do it while I'm speaking. No Googling while I'm talking. But listen, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's so familiar now. But then it was something, listen, the third time it's used, it's used in a very, very important, profound way. It meant something. In that generation, it really meant something to say that. So they're first called, why were they called? Now let's think about it. We'll move on here in a minute. But let's, why were they called the people of the Messiah. Why were they called that? I think there's only one reason. Because that's how they were living. They were living in such a way they were completely connected to Jesus. People saw them and the first thing they thought when they saw them is Jesus. I think that's awesome. So that's going on. Listen, now now somebody visits from Jerusalem. They get more, they get more people up from Jerusalem. Remember, 300 miles. And in these days... Prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by a sign or showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So listen, now some guys come up and I think, listen, I think they're just visiting and they came up and, and listen, one of them gives this prophecy about a famine. I, I kind of I kind of like reading stuff like that, you know. Oftentimes, some people say, well, you know, prophets, there's, there's no such thing as the gift of prophecy today. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says there is a gift of prophecy. But I think too often it's misused. I, I've been in a lot of meetings where people, quote, exercise the gift of prophecy, and they'll say something like this, oh, my little children, I love you, speaking for God. Oh, my little children, I love you. I'm thinking, duh, I know that. Right, I can read that. But when somebody stands up and does something like this, man, that's powerful, huh? I was in a meeting one time where someone stood up and warned another person about an affair they were just about to get involved in. That, that got people's attention. That's prophecy. 
Listen, so Agabus gets up and here's what he says. Man, there's going to be a famine throughout the world. And then Luke gives us a side note. This happened during Claudius Caesar. Josephus has records of it. Eusebius has records of it. And it was a famine that hit Judea really hard. You can read in some of Paul's letters when he writes to some of the other Gentile churches, we need to take up a collection for the brethren back in Jerusalem, right? And so listen, right here, man, the church is barely born, barely going. They get this word, and here's what I love, man. Hey, this, this famine's about to happen. Then the disciples in Antioch each said, too bad for them. Because it's sometimes what we do, right? Oh, man, I'd hate to be living in Judea right now. I'm glad we're in Antioch. Things are going pretty good in Antioch. No, listen, man, you've got to love this. Then the disciples each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. First thing to notice is they're calling the church in Jerusalem brethren. Isn't that cool? They're brothers, man. They're family. They're understanding we're family. And, and so listen, family helps family, right? Hey, we're family. I know some people don't like that when I say it. I'm like your weird uncle that comes to Thanksgiving. I'm showing up. Whether you like it or not, man. You know, you're going to have to spend all of eternity with me, so you might as well get used to it. A family. They notice there's family. And then listen carefully, because I think, I think there's some tremendous principles here on how we should give. I've shared before. People ask me, we, we don't talk about money much in our church because you guys are very generous. This is a great church. Trust me, I'm on boards in other churches. This is a phenomenal church. And so we don't talk much about money. I've even had people ask me, how come you never talk about money? And, and then we have visitors sometimes. How do you give money to this church? I tell them, we make it as hard as possible. We make it difficult. We want to make sure. We just, we just choose not to do an offering and have boxes sitting around. But there's some good principles. But people will ask me sometimes, hey, Pat, can you give me some suggestions on giving? Like, how much should I give? Where should I start? And I've, I've shared with you guys before, you know my Pat answer, give everything you have. And they go, no, I'm serious. I go, no, I'm serious. I'm not talking about just money. I think you should give all of your money. I think you should give all of your possessions. And I think you should give all of you and all of your family. Oh, that's an awful lot. Well, you shouldn't ask me. And they go, can I talk to Pastor Jack? I go, sure. <laughs> go for it. But listen, listen, man. Here's some great principles that we can glean. I think this is one of the, the best places to glean for, for us. Listen, then the disciples, each according to his ability. Now, I think that's somewhat subjective. I get it. But according to your ability... The Lord does not expect you to give outside of your ability to give. That's, that's ridiculous. When I hear some of the, the faith people teach and tell people to do things, I think, that's ridiculous. Each according to his ability. We all have different abilities. But we should be doing it according to our ability, according to, to what, we, what God has given us. I think that's so important to get a hold of. And not go by some formula, not go by what somebody's told you, not go by some guilt trip. You give according to your ability. And then some of us go, okay, okay. And then here's the secret. I think this is the major secret. Check it out. 
according to his ability, determined, some of you say it's decided, determines a better translation. Listen, determined to send relief. You know, to me, when I read determined, that means it's done, right? When you determine something, boom, it's done. And I'm going to share with you, if you do not determine to give according to your ability, you will never give. Happens every time. Some people go, well, I'm going to wait to the end of the month and see what I have. You'll never have enough. Never. Never. Ain't going to happen. But if you determine according to your ability, you're going to give. You don't determine? You're not. It's that simple. And I think most of I'm looking at faces now, some of you are going, how did you know that about me? Because it's truth. And I love this church. I love this church. And I love this church. Why? They heard of a need, and each one, according to his ability, determined to give to that need. How cool is that? Is that awesome? You know what that tells me? Teaching the Word of God really works. Why? Do you remember a few verses ago, what were they doing? What was Paul and Barnabas doing? They taught them. You see, some people say, no, teaching, you don't need to do teaching. You kind of need to get into some other stuff. And No, teaching the Word of God is what changes our hearts. And you're taking a bunch of people who have come out of an immoral background, a gross background, a, a, you know, a, a polytheistic background, and all of a sudden they're focused on Jesus and you've got them purposing of their hearts to continue with Him. And now look, man, a need arises and who's the first ones there? The church at Antioch. That we don't even know who was preaching there. But the church at Antioch, they determined to give. And then listen, then after they did that and they wanted to send to their brethren dwelling in, in Judea, listen, don't read on yet, look up. Who would you send? Well, I'd send some messenger. Send somebody that doesn't matter. Send one of the guys we don't care about. Actually, let's send somebody we're trying to get rid of. Who are you going to send? Listen, who are you going to send? Here's what I love. Check out who the church sends. Verse 30, this they also did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul? You've got to be kidding me. Saul's not going to be here to teach? Well, I'm not coming next week if Saul's not here. Little gig. Little sharp there, huh? Some of you are very uncomfortable right now. Hmm. Who did they send? The best. Some of you are going, maybe that's the only people they could trust. Come on. They sent their best. Because that's what churches do. You send your best. You want your best out there. Man. And then, going back again. I'm kind of stuck on this. Going back again. How come they could send Barnabas and Saul? Because they were taught the Word of God. And they knew that they could continue on. Why? Because Paul and Saul and Barnabas had released them, empowered them with the Word of God and let them understand their giftedness and to use their giftedness as a body of Christ. Wow, is that cool? So you've got to love this church. So listen, for us, as we get ready to go, I, I want us to draw a few things from this. Number one, 
Don't try to seek glory for yourself. Let God use you. Be available. Be in that place. But you don't always have to have your name there. You don't always have to be, you know, known for that. Again, I think it's wonderful, and it does kind of disturb me in our generation. There's some, there's some superstars in Christendom that I don't think should be there. I think we should have a blank there. But then, more importantly, we need to have purpose of heart. I think we're losing that in the church. I think this whole idea of conviction. You know, I'm, listen, you can decide something, but conviction goes so deep. I have convictions that God has given me through His Word that I'm not budging on. I'm not moving. And listen, if they're not deep within you, someone can change your mind anytime. They can't change your convictions. And then lastly, let's think about, are we really, are we really generous like that first century church? Are we really doing what they did? Do I even have a plan? Do you even have a plan? It's first a year. Do you even have a plan for giving? No, I don't plan for giving. I just think it's going to happen. It never just happens. It doesn't happen. You've got to make a plan. So, hey guys, here's the first Gentile church. Cornelius wasn't a church. This is the first Gentile church. Functioning pretty cool, huh? Because I'm looking around, I see a bunch of Gentiles. Just saying. So let's do church. Let's take a cue from this model and let's do church. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you, God, for your word and, and uh, for this picture that we got. And Lord, I think about how you worked in such an amazing way through quote, no names, people we don't know. Where there was a fellowship that exploded and it didn't have, didn't have kind of the regular thing going on. There was nobody visited from the apostles' bench. It just happened. And then when things were going, you send that, just that right person to encourage the fellowship to continue on with the Lord with purpose of heart. And so God, here we are wanting to follow You, wanting to honor You, wanting to love You, wanting to make You known to our generation. So I pray You would start right now, right here as we're standing here. Fix our hearts, God. Fix our hearts on You. And give us that purpose of heart give us that desire to see you glorified in our lives in our work in our homes in our neighborhoods and God I pray I pray that as we go and talk to neighbors talk to co-workers talk to people we shop with in other words this culture God, I pray that we would see the hand of the Lord move in a mighty way.